Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. Welcome to No Meat Athlete Radio. We've got a great episode today with a longtime online friend of mine whose name is Scott Spitz. Many of you, of course, will already know him. And uh, Scott has a pretty remarkable story. Doug and I did not want to try to give an introduction to such a remarkable story ourselves before Scott came on. We figured we'd just let him come on and give you the story himself. So, Scott, thank you so much for being here today with us. I've been looking forward to this episode a long time, and I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for giving the opportunity. Absolutely. So, as I said, I want to get right into your story. I want that to be what this episode is about, because to me, the way that it's unfolding and the way that I see you handling it on Facebook and your blog is extremely admirable and inspiring. So, I just want other people to, you know, those who don't know you, to get that from you and hopefully take from what's going on with you what I have. So, for me, your story kind of starts back in, I guess, 2010, which is when we met, and I'm sure it started before that, but that's when you helped me out with the Marathon Roadmap. You did an interview. This is back when you were training, I think, to qualify for the U.S. Olympic trials, Yeah. and you were a 225 marathoner just working on getting faster. Can you just take us back there, like back when that was your focus and what you were doing as a vegan and why you were doing it? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I, I was... I was training for, you know, just general running, and I had a really, uh, I had great su- success at the Chicago Marathon in 2009, where I did run the 225, and, you know, from there, I just thought, okay, let's go, let's go for the trials. I, I didn't really know, I didn't really have a really good idea of my abilities at that time. It was pretty shocking to run that 225, admittedly, um, but I have a great coach and a great team, and, you know, there were some other guys on the team that were going for the trials, too, so that's where I... Uh, uh, set my focus. Um, and I had, you know, been going at it and there was uh, some ups and downs in my life, um, that affected my running, but generally I was still trying to keep on track to go for the trials. Well, um, I was, uh, working on that. Um, and then out of the blue, uh, I started to actually, it wasn't even really started to have complications. Um, in hindsight, there were some things that were happening to me physically, but, Overall, I was still doing really well in running, and then um, literally from one morning I felt fine, and that next night I uh, could barely eat or stand up straight. And long story short, it was determined that I had a very rare form of um, appendix cancer or, or cancer in the abdomen. Um, and so for the past year and almost a half now, that's where my life has been focused um, on dealing with that whole situation. So, you know, very quickly I went from very high volume training and, and, and high aspirations to having to do basically a 180 and, and for a while stop running and deal with this whole cancer experience and try to continue living my life through this whole, whole, you know, this, this whole, uh, obstacle and, and adversity and make the most of it. And, uh, just kind of keep working towards some sort of resolution that I can get back to running. That's always been my, my focus through all of this. That's helped me kind of, um, keep, keep my attention on what matters in my life. Um, 
So, you know, the, the, the story is uh, pretty extensive and so, so much has happened that I can't even keep track of it all. But, but that's a pretty good summary of where I'm at right now. Yeah. And you also wrote a piece in Running, Eating, and Thinking that I was also a contributor to. And I had Martin on the podcast a few months ago, the editor. But in there, for those who haven't read it, you write a summary of the three days when you got the diagnosis. And it's really incredible to read that because it just puts you right into that mindset. I think what's striking about it is that you eat the way that you do. You're vegan, and so many people associate that with health. And even within health, you know that's considered an anti-cancer type of diet. Plus, you were exercising the amount that you were as a you know competitive runner. So a big part of the message that you like to share now is the idea that veganism is not a bulletproof defense against all possible sickness. And that's something that I try to promote too. Obviously, I've never experienced anything like you have. But you know, I do like to write about the idea that this isn't just something that guarantees you'll be healthy for life. So even for someone like me who thinks of things in that way, to imagine being in the shape that you were when you got this diagnosis and feeling as good as you probably did about your health and then it's just turning on a dime and saying, okay, now everything's upside down. My entire set of priorities has shifted and what I thought was safe and comfortable is no longer any of that. It's really quite emotional and fascinating. Yeah, and and you know, it's it, admittedly, it's it's hard sometimes being the buzzkill in the vegan scene. And and you know, from the start, I've 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 always said, hey, I, I come at, at veganism from a um, ethical perspective, and I know the the um, kind of perspectives around health, and I pay attention to the perspectives around health with a vegan diet, and I do still think that it's incredibly healthy, um, but. You know, cancer is a very complex process. And, you know, I didn't, you know, even my, my sister was um, taken uh, from cancer. Um, and, and even watching her experience, I didn't really know or understand how cancer works. And even after my diagnosis, it took a lot of reading um, to really kind of get a fuller picture of how, um, you know just how cancer works and 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 why it exists and how it spreads through our bodies and uh you know the the general public doesn't really have a good understanding um understandably so uh as to why cancer works because it is very complex and so you know it took a little bit but it helped me understand that you know there are things we can do to prevent and ward off certain illnesses in our body but nothing makes us bulletproof to the process of evolution, to the process of disease spreading. Um, nothing we can do. There's there's so many different triggers. There's lifestyle triggers, there's environmental triggers, there's um, genetic, just genetic mutations. Um, there's so many things that we, we actually can control in our lives, but there's a lot we can't control. And I really had to come to terms with that. Um, you know, like I said, you know, my, my cancer was very rare and, you know, we'll never, I mean, I, I would I would assume in my lifetime, but you know, right now I'll never be able to say this is why you got cancer. It wasn't because you had too much peanut butter. It wasn't because you drank too much coffee or anything like that. Um, cancer is a multi-level process. Uh, the, the cells mutate and reproduce after you know three, four, five different um, triggers happen in the body. So you know, you can say, hey, I don't smoke, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to get cancer or even people that do smoke don't trigger some of these other processes that, that give them cancer. So people can smoke their whole lives and, and uh, not get cancer. However, 
you know, we have enough of an understanding to say, look, there are some things you do that are definitive triggers. We can draw these parallels to um, to cigarettes. We can draw parallels to alcohol. We can draw um, parallels to certain um, certain types of foods, certain types of lifestyle behaviors that say, look, this may not give you cancer, but you're not increasing your odds. So, you know, I don't, I don't ever state that, you know, veganism and healthy living is like kind of a, a worthless endeavor. Of course not. Um, it actually does have value in creating healthy living. It does have value in warding off cancer in some ways. It's you're not introducing triggers into your body um, by eating a certain way. You know, there is value in, in eating healthy um, on many on many levels, for sure. Uh but that doesn't make us bulletproof by no right. means. And we and, and it's it's unfortunate that, that it gets promoted like that sometimes because you know, how does it feel to the person that all of a sudden does get that diagnosis or does get some disease that they couldn't avoid in all their life they've been doing this because they said, I'm not gonna get it. And you know, so so part of my expressions are trying to like kind of unfortunately be the buzzkill, but say, Hey, let's let's recognize the value in what we're doing, but also let's keep it in perspective. Yeah, and I mean, I don't really even think buzzkill is really even close to what it is. I mean, you're the person who's telling the truth in a situation where a lot of people are choosing to delude themselves so that they can believe it will never happen to me and then live life in the way that a belief system like that kind of encourages. And that's something I do want to get to. That's kind of one of the big themes of this whole thing and why I wanted to have you on here is because of the way that you've – maybe not redefined because this is probably the same definition you've always gone by, at least from my perspective, at least, but of what it means to be successful. And that's not the avoidance of illness, but how you choose to live regardless of what happens to you. Before we get there, though, just so people understand where you are today, what is the current status? I mean, I know you had an operation recently and your weight is down, but you're still thinking about getting back to running. And uh, that's a big part of the inspiration of this story. So um, how is it going now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, April, uh, in the beginning of April 2013 is when I was diagnosed. Um, and I then had a, I mean, it was seriously like two weeks. Uh, April 23rd is when I went into the first surgery. It's called a, uh, the, or the acronym is a HIPEC surgery. And it's, it's, or it's labeled the mother of all surgeries because it's so extensive and does, you know, such damage to your body. Um, so I went through that and there were a lot of complications with the surgery itself. They found out there was a lot more, um, tumors and they couldn't get them out and it was really problematic. Um, so I went through that, I still had a cancer. And so we put me on a chemotherapy, chemotherapy regimen that the doctors admitted most people don't respond to. Um, but again, we know so little about cancer. They basically take shots in the dark. They try anything. Um, so I've been on, I was on chemotherapy all last year. Uh, but there was, there was hope in that there was no change in the growth of the, of the cancer. Um, it didn't get worse, um, and it didn't get better. So that's considered stable. That's considered positive. So we actually were able to go back in and have the surgery a second time, um, which I just finished a month ago that the surgery was a month ago. I was in the hospital for two weeks and I'm been out for two weeks now. Um, this time the surgery was much more positive. Um, they got out a lot. Uh, but not all of it. So um, we are now in a holding pattern of waiting and seeing 
how the cancer responds in the next three to six months. I'm going to have a couple scans and see if it is um, growing or shrinking. Um, it could be that the chemotherapy, I was responding to it for some reason, or it could have been just uh, an immune response from my body. Um, again, it's always really confusing and complex, so it's hard to pinpoint exactly what's going on. So, um, But everything does look hopeful, and then ultimately it looks like, you know, barring any sort of like unbelievable change where it just sort of dissipates on its own, which has been known to happen, I will have this surgery a third time. Um, that would be probably a year or a year and a half, and that's where we hope to kind of finish it. Um, in the meantime, though, you know, my without with the, with the idea that I'm not going back on chemotherapy, I hope to get back to running and training um, to my fullest extent, you know, for as long as I can, whether that leads into surgery or something else um, or, or nothing at all. I don't know. We'll see. But um, I'm, it's, it's always been my motivation all last year, even during chemotherapy, I was pushing myself, trying to run, trying to, trying to get back to doing that. And that's, you know, hugely important. Most cancer patients will tell you that, you know, the biggest thing that you can do as an individual is retain as much as your life as you had before. Um, there are definitely problems with both, you know, recovery from surgery and chemotherapy that prevents us from doing certain things, um, working sometimes, um, carrying out a normal life, but it's so emotionally important to try to retain that life that you had prior to this. And so for me, the, the bulk of that was kind of living passionately and, and running. Um, yeah. And so I tried to hold on to that the whole time. And I, I did, you know, to a, to a considerable extent, never to the, you know, level that I would, that I would want, but I knew what I was up against. So um, that's where I was at. And that's where I'm excited to get back to is getting back to running without the, uh, debilitating effects of chemotherapy. Right, right. Scott, this is uh, this is Doug here. Um, obviously, you were you were vegan before you got sick or before you knew you were sick, um, and you've remained vegan throughout this. Do you think that it's had a positive effect on on how you've kind of recovered from the surgeries and and all this, or is it just kind of you have no idea and and you're just doing it because you love it and that's what you're passionate about? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, again, I came in veganism from an ethical basis. So for me, there was just, it's it's a no-brainer. I never even considered that I should not be vegan during this whole process. Um, you know, going, it, it's kind of funny because going through, you know, really high-volume running training, you know, you're essentially breaking your body down to some degree. And, you know, I always maintained um, fitness and strength through, you know, through my diet, through that sort of breakdown. So knowing that I was going to break down through um, chemotherapy, uh there was no reason to believe that I needed to kind of supplement or change my diet in any way or, um, you know, to, to get stronger. I knew that I would still kind of remain at the same level that I, that I would on the diet that I was eating. So I really had no concerns about that, um, going into this. Great. Great. So on that same note, and this is kind of almost minutia, but I've got to ask, I was reading in running, eating, thinking, and you talked about how you're eating all these bananas and how bananas are your best friend now. And it was sort of coincidental for me to read that because in one of our recent episodes, I was talking about this 80-10-10 diet that I've been kind of fooling around with it. And that's probably the word for it because I'm not really doing it 100%, enjoying how I'm feeling with it, but unsure about how it is as a long-term diet. And a lot of the responses I got from people were kind of like, don't you know that fruit is linked to cancer or helps promote cancer cell growth because cancer cells feed on sugar? And I'm just wondering, is that a legitimate thing? And did you get a bunch of diet advice saying oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> from doctors or from just people pretending they're doctors? 
You know, it's it's been it's interesting, and and this this is probably a long conversation, but it's interesting because, you know, a, a vegan diet in in you know pop culture is definitely still a fringe thing, and so it attracts fringe elements and it attracts people that are drawn towards extremes, um, and that kind of plays across across the board on many perspectives. And uh, I definitely had my share of people who. Um, you know, have the cure to cancer and, and, and tell, and I've had people tell me that my vegan diet caused my cancer and, and so many, I would even go as far as saying conspiracy theories and all that stuff. And I, I tried to head that off at the past before I knew it was coming and I tried to head it off in my blog writings, just kind of say, look, this is where I stand. Um, but you know, I knew I was going to deal with it and it's really tapered off lately, fortunately, because it's, it's, it, you know, wears on you. It gets emotionally frustrating. Um, as far as, you know, all I did was I, I, there are certain stories that go along with these ideas and they all seem to carry the same sort of formula. There's always this, you know, secret, uh, ingredient that's going to, you know, fix your cancer. And there's a study in the Philippines that showed that it cures cancer and this and that, and, and then, of course, you've got the, you know, the FDA is is blocking it because this pharmaceutical company is making money and all this kind of stuff. And the formula just kind of goes across the board on so many of these these ideas and theories. But, you know, if I do need to address that, let me just say this. There are people that have cancer right now that are dying and they are trying. I mean, they may not live tomorrow and they are willing to try anything that comes their way. And there's clinical trials where, you know, I that, that people are throwing themselves at. They have no idea if it's going to work, but they have no other options, and they're they're trying everything. And I have, you know, I have a friend locally that you know almost died twice during her clinical trial because she was at you know she was at the end of a rope, and there was nothing that they could do. Um, fortunately, she's she, she's still doing good right now. So you know, all I can say is, look, if these things did work, if the, it wouldn't be a secret. That stuff would spread organically through the cancer. Um, culture just like wildfire if somebody found out that it did work it would spread this is you know i understand why people are drawn to this it's a desperate situation you know we don't know what's going on we try and we try but it's really hard to to kind of nail down um you know solutions to to cancer and the evolutionary process and so or combating the evolutionary process um so you know i understand why people are drawn to that but if you look into any of these claims or you look at the specifics as far as, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, sugar feeding cancer, it just is, is not true. I mean, if you look at the biology of it, um, I mean, I, and I actually posted something about the whole sugar thing because, you know, you know, I'm drawn to like at least trying to kind of figure out what's going on to understand, you know, whether there is potential in this or not. Um, you know, if you want me to address that specifically, you know, uh, the whole everything in the body turns to sugar in some way. And ultimately, when you kind of deprive yourself of 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 sugar, the body starts to metabolize muscle and actually cre to 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 fuel itself. I mean, everything we eat turns into to to sugar. So whether, you know, you're overloading your body with concentrated sugars or not, you're feeding your body with with sugar and the cancer is getting fed by what everything else in your body is fed by. You can't deny that. You take out sugar and it's going to feed itself through something else. It's going to feed itself through muscle. I mean, draw a parallel to marathon training. When you run out of fat stores and you run out of glycogen, your body starts eating your muscle and you don't want that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, talking about cancer, it's the exact same thing. So I just, you know, I don't concern myself with those kind of ideas or notions anymore. I just, um, 
I just know that, you know, overall I'm, I'm doing what I can. I'm eating healthy. I'm living healthy. Um, and just hoping for the best. <laughs> yeah. So kind of on that note, you mentioned a few minutes ago that you were in like a holding pattern now and that it's kind of just wait three to six months. That's what's so amazing to me is that you seem to be like a lot of cancer patients who seem to strengthen in the face of that. It just, when I try to imagine myself in that situation, and I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this do the same thing. It's just sort of natural to think, what would that be like if this was me? And I just imagine myself crumbling under the waiting, the uncertainty, and just knowing that there's not an answer and there's not going to be an answer of good or bad for three to six months. And I would worry that my life would lose meaning in that time, but it seems like the exact opposite is what you are causing to happen. So is there a point where you're feeling all that stuff? And I mean, you mentioned in the book how in those first few days, it just hadn't even sunk in yet. But is there a point where it sinks in and becomes really scary? And then at some point you just get tired of being scared and you just decide not to be? Is that how it has worked? I mean, is that is that your personality and just like you were with running and the amount of difficulty that you could handle then that it's the same thing and you're just kind of yeah. facing it? You know, uh you know, everybody handles situations differently. And, you know, I actually feel like, um, the cancer, uh, sort of the doctors and the, the industry, if you want to call that sort of coddle a lot of patients and, and don't tell them a lot. There's a, a good book about that called the truth in small doses, um, because they feel like people can handle it. And it is a scary situation. And I definitely did go through that. You know, when I was diagnosed and went into surgery, it happened so quick that I didn't even have the time to really sort of dwell on it. I was like, okay, let's go to surgery. Let's get get past this. But after the fact, I, I felt that fear undoubtedly. And I try to, I try to address that. Um, it definitely hasn't been all, you know, inspiring and, and, you know, roses along the way. Um, you know, my first CT scan was nerve wracking. I mean, I had it and the days waiting leading up to it were so emotional and, you know, you, you don't know, you're, you're worried that it's going to have spread or it's going to have just grown out of control. And, you know, there's a lot of fear in that. Granted, my situation has definitely been, um, seems like increasing positivity despite some of the, the issues I've, I've dealt with. It's, it's been relatively positive. Um, but, uh, there's definitely a lot of fear in it and, you know, but you can't live in that situation forever. It's, that's, that's against our, you know, sort of survival instincts. You can only be stressed like that for so long before you actually bring yourself down and you make it worse. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've actually thought about stress a lot in relation to my cancer and I've actually felt like, you know, that's the one difference in my life prior to diagnosis was my stress levels were so high. And as odd as it is to say, cancer kind of wiped my slate clean and that has changed for me. And I can't help but consider if that maybe was part of one of my triggers. I, I don't know. I never state that that's what it is, but it is a consideration. But even in the face of dealing with cancer, I've, I've, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't stay in that scared situation. You know, I've, you know, as we go through life, you definitely learn about stressors and, and conflict and frustrations and, you know, we all handle it differently. And, and I've kind of pulled from, from that experience of being like, look, this is my life. I don't, I don't have to let it, you know, lie in fear. I don't have to let it lie in stress. I don't have to lie, let in confusion. And so I try to change that whenever it comes up, you know, I try to, you know, alter my circumstances as much as possible. And it was no different in, in cancer. You know, I was, 
I was faced with it and I had to deal with it and, you know, use a lot of my perspectives to say, okay, this is what's going on. How do we make the most of it? You know? Um, and I think there is some legitimacy to, you know, the adversity you deal with, deal with in running and pushing yourself and, and, uh, you know, constantly dealing with stressors in running too. And, and I think, you know, really training your mind to endure, endure certain um, stresses, whether it's in one training run or all the way up to like a goal race, I think has really helped me kind of endure through some of these waiting periods, facing the results of CT scans or what's going to happen next. And, um, you know, ultimately though, it's like, you can't live in that forever. And so, you know, I let it kind of come through me and, and play itself out. And then I got back to trying to just build my life as much as possible. You know, whatever adversity you face, it's kind of like, you gotta, you gotta keep living until one thing happens one way or the other. So that's the perspective I've taken from day one, pretty much. Yeah. And that's really the reason I wanted to have you on here because that perspective is inspiring and there's something about seeing it that just is valuable or makes me feel good when I see you reacting in that way. And I just imagine everyone else is going to have the same response. At least I hope so. Just finding the good in things. And you mentioned that when you had to tell your six-year-old son and have him watch the reactions of family and friends, that you think actually that ultimately may have been an extremely valuable experience for him. And that just seems incredible that you could take that perspective. But I think you might be right. It just seems like it would be so hard to see that in, in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the mind of a six-year-old is, it takes in a lot and it was important and it was helpful for me, for him to be there to say, okay, cause you know, when he, when he came that week, I thought that I had had a umbilical hernia. I thought it was, you know, absolutely nothing. And to find out it was cancer while he was here was, it helped me say, okay, he's watching, he sees what's going on and he's internalizing this. And so you can't freak out, you know, and it wasn't necessarily me feeling like I was going to freak out, but I had to kind of temper myself and, and, you know, tend to him and say, okay, let's, let's deal with this. Let's be calm about it. And, and, you know, that's all you really can do. Freaking out isn't really going to help. That's just kind of a, a reaction to stress. So um, that doesn't change the circumstances of the situation. So it was helpful to have him there and deal with it. And then it was helpful to see it through his eyes and see how he processed it through um, both my reaction and, and how, uh, everyone else responded, you know, just it's, it's typical parenting, you know, you can tell your kid one thing, but it, what really matters is what they actually see, you know, what, what behaviors they see you exhibit. So that was, uh, that was very important to him and me. Right. All right. Well, Scott, to wrap up here, I just want to read my favorite paragraph from your piece in running, eating, thinking, and then we'll talk about that for a few minutes and then I'll let you get out of here. It goes, I'm glad I never followed the stream of wishful thinking and put it out there that I was bulletproof. I'm not. I live my life consciously, making decisions that benefit me physically and mentally to the utmost degree, and even though the forces of chance and imperfection just smacked me in the face, every conscious decision I made to this point and onward is worth it. That's what ultimately matters. Not that we, quote, succeed in life by avoiding the plagues and diseases of our time, but that we simply try, doing everything in our power to benefit both ourselves and others. And then it says, as much as before, go vegan, which I think is funny, but also perfect because that's the way you live your life and that's what matters to you. So that's my favorite lesson from this whole conversation. So I hope people get that here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, again, there was, I, I, 
I didn't want to be the buzzkill essentially, but you know, I was kind of like, look, it doesn't have, it doesn't mean we have to change our circumstances um, just because we're facing adversity. And one of the things I probably said more than anything else, uh, primarily through running, but uh, other issues too, is that everything is relative. You know, I mean, this is a, this is a huge obstacle for me and a great amount of adversity for me, but that doesn't mean I didn't have adversity prior to cancer. You know, I had it in other ways and, and, you know, other people around the world have levels of adversity that, you know, they would, they would trade their life for my cancer diagnosis and my situation. You know, I'm doing very well considering and, you know, ultimately, no matter what each of us go through individually, you still got to make the best of the situation. So there was no question to me that, you know, this sucks. This is not what I want, but that doesn't stop me from making the most of any situation that I face. And, you know, if anything, I would just like people to kind of pull from that. Awesome. I love that. And I'm sure that they will just as I have. Scott, thank you so much for being on here. It's been a pleasure and honor to talk to you. And I really appreciate that you made the time to do this in spite of all that you've got going on right now. Yeah. And and thank you. And thanks for all the work you do. I love it. All right. Best of luck. We will be watching you and rooting for you and looking forward to seeing you recover and get back to running and doing what matters to you. Great. I appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Okay. Hi, Scott. Hey, everyone. It's Matt one more time. I realized that we forgot during the course of this great interview with Scott to mention the URL of his blog. If you want to follow along with his progress, he's a great writer. Uh, Everything he writes is at runvegan.wordpress.com. So please check it out and support Scott. 